We on? Okay. I can handle that. Flip the switch one direction. Got a 50% chance. That's a big chance of doing the thing right, huh? 50%. Amen. Well, the, our, uh, we met in, in Yorkshire. I came out to uh, my in-laws. Uh, we're getting ready to move out here. And I said, well, hey, let's go out there and we'll clean up the house that they had rented out for 10 or 11 years. And then we'll, uh, uh, you know, go around and visit churches and see if we can scare up some support to go to Brazil, finish up what we had. And uh, somehow, uh, one of your uh, frenemies in the ministry gave, uh, gave us your address, and I called you up. He said, well, why don't you come, and we'll talk. And uh, you never know if a guy sends you a missionary, if it's a friend or an enemy. You never know. And, and he knew I was a, man, a missionary right away, because when he tried to shake my hand, my hand was like that. Like that. <laughs> But uh, we met, and uh, he invited me in. We, I ate supper with his family, and uh, I still remember that meal. It was a chicken pot pie about that big, and I ate about that much of it. <laughs> it was delicious. It was amazing seeing those skinny Dunbar boys and their mouths. <laughs> Every one of them was skinny. They were sharper-looking kids, and we had a good fellowship at the meal, and then uh, uh, John took advantage of me. <laughs> he uh, made me look like a donkey. He climbed on my back and I carried him to the church trying to impress his dad. And so his dad told him, John, quit playing with the missionaries. <laughs> quit that. Knock that off. And uh, after church, we talked for a long time. And as we were, I was getting ready to leave, we stood out by the car and we talked for two or three hours out there. And he says, you know, you need to meet my preacher. And I, in my head, it was, okay, he can he give you know, the rest of the money for the sport. I'm going to Brazil, but I, you know, if you recommend him, I'd love to. I said, make the contacts with him. And, and I went there in October of, I think it was 91. We met in 90. And in 91, we, I went out up to Green Bay. First time I've ever seen snow in October. And uh, when we, the, I gave my testimony one time and listened to some good preaching. And afterwards, sat and preacher and I, uh, we talked for about three and a half, four hours about the ministry, about the Bible, about uh, missions, about, and ev it was, everything fit like that. And he said, you, you need to pray about... Uh, maybe coming up here and being sent out by the local church. I said, I need some time to pray because it's scaring me. And he said, what do you mean? I said, it's too easy. When something's too easy, it scares me like I'm being deceived here. It's just too easy. It's just fitting together just too easy. Uh, there's got to be some adversity, some adversary in a way to confirm that it's the God's will. Because if, if you're not stepping on the devil's toes, he's not kicking and scratching at you. You're not close enough to him. And we came back in April that year. God confirmed it all. We, uh, uh, that move cost us about 80% of our support, so the adversity confirmed it. Within two years of being associate pastor of that church, God raised back up the support plus, and we went to Brazil. And uh, during that first term, 
Brother uh, Joel Dunbar was seeking to find out what God wanted to do, him to do with his life. So his dad said, why don't you go out to Green Bay and uh, get involved in the 6x6 program. I'm sure you've explained that, so I won't go and rehash that, that story. He came down to Brazil, and uh, in spite of all the ribbing and teasing and everything that I did to him while he was down there, you know, imagine someone who's never been away from home going to a place like Brazil where it's just things happening all around you, and, uh, and then a missionary who... Uh, takes advantage and makes you the brunt of a joke without you knowing and goofing around like that. God called him to come back, come to Brazil. I'll, I'll give more detail on that another time. But uh, to see all that go together, I know God wants to do something more than he's even done up till now. My wife and I and our children that when we first went down to Brazil, it's been 25 years that we've been in Brazil, and uh, we're starting the second church now. Got a man who's just about ready to be cut loose and ordained. You met him, Carlito. Uh, Carlito, if he lived here in America, he'd be a Bible believer, just like you and I. He believes just like we do. Just that their translation's not as fine-tuned as ours. And, uh, but you use what you have, and uh, you preach around some things that you got to fix up a little bit, and just keep on preaching the Word of God, and winning souls, and get God to give you the opportunity. Uh, tonight, uh, I'd like to uh, remind you of something that you know, but it's good to be reminded. And I'm not saying that, I'm not making an excuse for the message, because it might be something you don't know. Uh, I, I don't know where you are in your Christian life. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I want to thank you for uh, the hospitality so far, and the reception, and that... Uh, uh, basket of all that stuff that I already ate. Um, I didn't eat it all yet. Just one of those bags of Fritos. They don't have Fritos in Brazil. And if you like some other kind of chip or, or you know, the salty stuff, because in Brazil you have, there's two food groups, sugar and salt. And for I prefer the salty stuff. But they don't make Fritos down there. And if you don't like Fritos, you, you need to go ahead and hit the altar right now. <laughs> Man, that's the, the best crunchy thing. Uh, that, you know, to, they're probably not good for you, but thank you very much for those. Uh, I didn't eat them yet. I just hugged them as I went to sleep <laughs> last night. Just held them. Just held them. Oh, Fritos, I missed you, missed you so much. Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And in whatsoever house you enter in, enter uh, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. 
and into, uh, into uh, whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are uh, set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your, uh, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of the, your city, which cleaveth unto us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we love your word, and we love your Son, and we want to be obedient to him. So we know that we can live by faith if we go to your word and put in practice what your word says. Uh, open up our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We thank you, Lord, for the precious Word of God. May the Word of God tonight be exalted, and may Jesus Christ be glorified, and may uh, we be better prepared for when we meet the Lord in the air uh, because of what we hear tonight and what we practice tonight and how we've grown since we've gotten saved. Help us, Lord, to continue on. Help us, Lord, because we're in uh, time is short before the return of our Lord and Savior. Help us not to be weary, weary in well-doing. Help us to press on. Help, help us to push harder in the race. Help us to finish the course. Help us to uh, magnify your grace. Because we know that uh, thy will is impossible for us to do without your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in, in the very first verses here, after these things, that's referring to the whole previous chapter. And in that previous chapter, there's a man who came to Jesus and said, I'll all serve you, Lord. And he said, okay, do this and this and this. He said, oh, I can't. There was, there was a man who was called. There was a man who volunteered. But not a one of them served him. And then all of a sudden you have 70 men there. What a number. How would you, how would you like to have... Uh, we're going to have, uh, this Saturday, we're going to have evangelism out in the new neighborhood that he has built, and everybody moved into it, and no one there has heard the gospel, or no one there believes any religion, and they're all happy and willing, and we're going to go lead them all to the Lord. How would you like to have 35 teams to go out there and preach the gospel to them? That'd be exciting. Man, you, you would leave your cars here and march there. I mean, that, that would really be exciting. 35 men with another at their side. You know, that, that's encouragement and fellowship. Some of the best fellowship in, the, in the, your life you'll ever have is serving God together. Right. You're going to remember the times you served God together. Coming come to church is serving God. But that's not, you don't want to stop there. You don't want to stop there. You want to go beyond that. You want to do something for God that, that costs you a little bit more than just time. You know, it costs, us, costs you time to come to church. You've got to put away some things and dedicate some time to, to be in church. And th that is a sacrifice considered uh, what, you know, what it costs and the things that you do in this life. For some people, it's a great sacrifice. You know, somebody who's gotta, got to uh, uh, get here in, in great pain. There's a lady in Brazil, a little old lady. Her husband was not saved. And uh, she attended a church. Uh, I don't know, six or eight blocks from her house, and she had to go with a walker. And she was real uh, arthritis in her knees and every joint of her feet and uh, in her hips and everything. And she walked by a neighbor, 
a neighbor's house every day, and he saw her. For every church service, she would walk by there. Her husband would stay home. And one day she didn't come by. So, and he knew where she went to church. Because it was that church. You know, that, like you guys, that church. <laughs> if you're called that church, that's, that's, you know, the criticism is God's badge of you're doing it, doing it right. His approval. But uh, she went to that church. So this guy, he, he knew when the church service was because she always went by at the same time. And when uh, uh, she didn't go by, the very next day that they had church, he could put a jacket on, he got out there at the right time, and he wandered out, he went down, and he sat in the back of the church. And the pastor, at the end, went to greet him and talk with him and said, Why are you here today, sir? He said, I want to receive Jesus Christ. What? The only witness he had was that faithfulness of that woman. And he saw because she went there in the rain. He saw because she went there in a lot of pain and alone that it, there was something to it. But the reason why she quit going is she died. And he began thinking, where is she? And thought about heaven. And he went there and said, I want to receive Christ. Now, I don't know those persons. I've heard that. That's a secondhand story. A secondhand story. I don't know those people myself. But when bury my heart in a mission field, I've done that. God's good, huh? God will give you what He needs to do to just pour the grace on you. There's a little unmarked grave on the other side of town where we're at. It's unmarked because it's not ours. Another Christian brother said, you can bury Anna there. Nothing costs you anything. You don't have to pay us anything. Just that we don't put a marker on there uh, because it's only temp being used temporarily. <laughs> you got a good idea, man. First thing, you're not charging me for, to, to use it. But we're just borrowing it. He said, you can borrow it. Amen. You know, if every day that you wake up, you remember the second coming of Christ... That's a good day. That is a good day. Well, Jesus tried to prepare in three and a half years. Imagine if Jesus could have sent out, instead of 11 men and a devil, if he could have sent out 70. There was another time he sent out another 70. But what, what is the greatest need in missions? Look at this. A lot of times we think the greatest need in missions is money. It is a great need. But America is such an affluent country, blessed, not because we send more missionaries than other... That's a blessing that we have to be able to do that. We're blessed because of this book. We're blessed because of this book. And as we obey this book, we reap more blessing. But it's a blessing to be able to send or be sent as a missionary. You want to... Look up here, the surrender and the sacrifice and the send are, are some key action verbs involved in missions work. Worldwide missions, the Great Commission. Jesus Christ talked about the Great Commission five separate times. Five separate times. In the, the Gospel of John, it's the, the most vague, but he says, even as my Father has sent me, even so send I thee. 
or you, you, because it's plural. That's a funny story about that. Let me, let me tell you that story. My older brother, he's still lost. And one day I was visiting my dad. I believe it was for one of his birthday, big birthday, like a 75 or something like that. And I, I was there. And my older brother walks up to me and says, so how do you know the King James Bible is really the Word of God? And I looked at him and I said, all I've ever preached to him was the gospel. I never even told him what, you know, I never told him that I have, what's it called? The Holy Bible. That's what it really is. It's the Holy Bible. They, kept, they, changed, they said, well, it's the authorized version. Why, because the others are unauthorized? Yeah. But in, regardless, he asked me about that. And he says, I said, well, it's, it's really not that difficult. A lot of people say, well, you got all those these and thous. I said, That's, those make it easier. The these and the thous make it easier. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, I have a friend in, in Brazil. He studied some English, but he thought, he called me on the phone one day and says, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, because he translates for other Americans that, or, or, or Americans that go down there and, and he preaches in prison with them, so he needs to know English to translate. And he said, what is the these and those pronounced like you would pronounce it if you knew, you know, uh, uh, American grammar? Uh, you know, the first thing you need to know about this book is this is not an American book. This is an English book. And a lot of times we make mistakes, like with translate and interpreted. Interpreted in this book is what you think of when you say translated. Check it out sometime. Check it out sometime. So my, my, I told my brother, I said, uh, this guy, he, he said, what is the these and the those and the yees and the you, yo's and the, you know, what are those things? I said, that's the pronouns that we don't use that you still use. The, the formal pronouns, the I said, and, and it, there, let me give you a system. I was on the phone with the guy, so I, had to, I said, hold one finger up. He said, okay, what does that mean? I said, that's the these and the thous. It's got one stick going up, a T, at the beginning of the word. That means it's singular. Okay, how about the yees and the yous? Put two fingers up. It looks like a Y. It's plural, always. So I told my brother, I said, you know, it's really not that hard if you really want to know it. Oh, well, how's the weather? How about them Packers? Yeah. When, you know, God doesn't make it difficult to be saved. God does not make it difficult to serve Him. The, the hardest thing to overcome to serve God is our own will. What is that? I want to do my will, O oh Lord. They sing that all the time. Our flesh sings that all the time. So the, the greatest need, look down here in chapter 10, in verse 4. Carry neither purse nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man, by the way. Look at that. He's, he's saying these are distractions. Oftentimes, obedience to the Great Commission is hindered by distractions. Let's look at the distractions here. He says, uh, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, carry neither purse. What is a purse for? What? Well, that's where you hold your money, yeah, if you want to buy things out of it. Yes, yes. And he said, don't bring that. You don't need that. 
don't bring a purse. And he's not talking about a pocketbook that a woman would carry. He's talking about a satchel. But that's what it's called. If it's a purse, it's for carrying valuables. You know, it's his saddlebags on his Harley Davidson. If you, want to, you know, you tough guys want to think of that. <laughs> Carry neither purse. You don't need it. It's a distraction. Oftentimes, money is a distraction for missions. It's a distraction. Why? When I first got saved... Uh, the day I got saved, in the room in the barracks where I received Christ as my Savior, I got back on my knees about two minutes later, maybe less than that, and I said, God, I am so glad now I know I'm forgiven. I want to serve you. I'll, I, I will serve you the rest of my life. I just, I'm so grateful. The, the uh, gratitude was just oozing out of all my pores. I was just so happy to be forgiven and I said, if you want me to be a janitor in the church or an associate pastor or a missionary in a far-off land, I am willing to do it. I am willing to do it. And then I started getting cold feet, so I started giving more in missions. I was hindering going. because I, You know why? Not because I was scared of going somewhere. I was afraid I'd mess something up. Man, I was just a freshly washed, clean sinner. And I was scared I was going to get up in a pulpit somewhere and bleep, talk like Peter. <laughs> or a politician. Not all of them. Not all of them. Uh oh. So let's look at the next thing carrying either purse. So that, it, that can be a hindrance. That can be a hindrance. If you're looking for, I'll go if God will give me the money. What if you just decide to go and see if God gives it to you anyway? I have a friend, he, he, he uh, was a pastor in Pennsylvania. I think he's in Florida now looking for another church. But I, I used to preach on the street with, with him when I used to live in Oklahoma. And we had a lot of fellowship, his family and my family. And uh, he met uh, my uh, pastor, you know, preacher, you know him as preacher too. So they met at a camp meeting somewhere in, in uh, Ohio, West Virginia border in there with, uh, what was his name, Chuck? I uh, can't remember the guy's name. I, I don't know him personally. But they, they met there and they talked about you know, the pro, what's going on and uh, uh, their mutual friend and me and how it works. And then he said, I want him to come out. So he paid for my wife and I. We flew out, and he was in Pennsylvania at the time. And we flew out there, and we were with him. And he says, how do, how do you guys do it? In the size of church, you, you guys, how, do you, how do they send you? I said, Brother Jim, I said, I don't know. We just decided that God really wanted us to. We knew it was in the Bible, and we just decided to obey. And we haven't looked back. I mean, God's going to either do what he promised to do, if he says he'll be with you, he'll be with you. So if you're going to starve to death, he's got to watch it. And he loves you very much. And if you starve to death, he loses nothing anyway. <laughs> it's all good after you're saved. It's all good. So sometimes money can be a hindrance. If God wants your body to go, not your money to go. 
Because your money can still go. So he says, carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes. Look at the word shoes. No shoes. So you're walking barefoot? No. That's an extra pair. You know what that's a reference to? Forty years in the desert and your feet didn't swell and your shoes didn't wear out. The same God. He said, I was with them and I'll take care of you. Now, what I do is I've got two pair of the exact same shoe. I went to the Burlington Outlet store, and I bought two because they were comfortable. So no one knows that I'm, they think I'm wearing the same pair of shoes all the time. And then i got a daughter, Priscilla, that is an expert shoeshine girl. Got a lot of girls, got a lot of them. She's the youngest daughter, uh, a child of ours. And uh, she said, Daddy, I want, a, I want a job. Well, you're six. You don't need a job. I want to do something. I said, I, wanna, I, I like that initiative. I said, you can shine my shoes. That was my first job. I got a nickel for my dad's shoes, a, a, a dime for doing both pair of the shoes he wore as a police and the black shoes. I'd shine them up and make them like glass. So Priscilla, she was pretty sharp. She uh, shined my shoes, and uh, they looked really good. She put them in the closet, and the next day she had them back out there shining them again. Oh, they don't need to be shined. But you said, Daddy, you said that every time I shine them, you'd pay me one heal. <laughs> I like that initiative. I don't like that expense, but I like that initiative. You don't need an extra pair of shoes. Not if he's going to be with you. Not if it's... See, uh, the big thing is determining what is God's will for my life. What is God's will for my life? You know, for a lot of years, I used to tell people, God called me to Brazil. How, can you, how could you ever prove that? How do you know God's will without God's Word? You can't separate the two. God's will is God's Word. God called me to the ministry and led me to Brazil. I had to change that, what I was saying. God called us to serve Him, and He'll tell you where to serve a lot of time, there's a lot of people sitting around going, God, where should I go? Where should I go? Where should I go? And God's saying, put it in first gear and let the clutch out. Let's get moving. I'll guide you. Trust me to get you there. Trust me to get you there. Uh, that, that's it. He says, uh, so you've you got shoes and uh, script. We're going to skip that one over because that's harder to describe right now. And I'm going to save time and not mumble around up here as a, pretending I know more than I do. And he says, salute no man, by the way. Remember that prophet that met the old prophet and he told him, no, go, come stay with me. And he said, but I, I, God told me not to. It's all, stick with God, what God told you to do. Stick with the basic stuff. He was told, go to that town, preach, and go back a different way. And he He stayed. He got talked into it because the guy said, well, I'm a prophet too. But he knew what God had told him to do. God didn't authorize that other prophet to lie to him. And afterwards he said, I lied. He said he lied. And a lion came out and, and killed the man, tore him, but didn't eat him and didn't kill his donkey. They were just standing there. 
So everybody knew. Everybody knew. There was the prophet that didn't obey God. Wow. Man, I, I don't want my life to... I don't know. That, to me, I wouldn't be ashamed. I'd be dead. But I don't want to shame God. I spent 23 years of my life shaming God. He created me. And I shamed Him for 23 years. Salute no man by the way. No, do not get distracted. Uh, a lot of times, because of the way we send out missionaries, missionaries have to travel. And when you travel, like I did for about almost two years, total time on the road traveling for preaching, you see a lot of needs. There's a little church back in a holler in West Virginia, and they don't have a pastor, and the people, they love you. And they cook up this nice fancy meal, that over-salted ham, delicious stuff. Country ham, huh? Oh, man, that's good. And, and you start feeling, well, maybe God directed me to go to that mission field way over there just so he could get me here. Salute no man, by the way. Don't carry an extra pair of shoes because you won't need them. But don't stop off to buy any either. Don't stop off. Don't even, don't get distracted. Stay the course. Stay the course. Keep your eye on, on the goal. Keep your eye on where God's leading you. Keep your eye on getting to that place. See, these 70 guys were going to places they already knew. They weren't going off to some unknown land with an unknown tongue. They were all Jews, and they were going to their hometown. Go, you two guys go back to your neighborhood and tell them I'm coming. You two guys go to your neighborhood and tell them I'm coming. That, that's about what it was. I mean, they weren't, they weren't traveling in an airplane going somewhere. They were going walking distance in a little bit of time. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes. Salute no man, by the way. And then he tells them how I'm going to take care of you. I'll use people to take care of you on the way. But the idea is you're going to go there. And, but, but it's an amazing thing. Go back to verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. Other 70 also. There was a group of 70 already sent. There's 140 people out there, but he's got 12 of them with him. You see that? You know, I think a lot of what the Lord Jesus Christ did was object lessons that were prophecy. For example, when he took them to Gadara, and they met that Gentile land there, he says, you think the Jews are mean. Look at what those Gentiles, they're full of devils. They don't even know the real God. They don't even, that's what Abraham found out. Was that a, a, a Himalek? That, or who was that name of that king? That, huh? Abimelech. That he got there and he, he, he says to Abraham, why'd you lie to me? He said, because I observed, I saw that there was no fear of God here. Well, there was no fear of God in, in Gadara. Prophecy that, okay, this is what you're going to do. I have a great commission you got Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This guy's as far out on the corner of the globe as you can get. And he was showing them what they're going to do and repeatedly showed them. You read through, 
and you, you follow chronologically what's going on in the Gospels, you have three and a half years of this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. Now with the Jews, the ministry is a little bit different. Uh, we're not an apostolic church. We don't, have a, we don't have a need for that because we don't have Jews to show signs to. And that's why at the end, or nearer, nearer to the end of his ministry, he starts showing them like that uh, man in Gadara. And that man said, I'll go with you, Lord. He says, no, i got a different ministry. You're not suited for this ministry with these 12 guys. You're not suited here. I have another thing. Go back and tell the great things the Master has done for thee. So everybody had a part. Everybody has a part. But you know, the greatest need in missions is, you got 70 sent out, that seems like that should be enough. But you know, when it came down to it, there's only 120. And a bunch of them were women too. 120. He's got 12 here. And if they'll follow his plan, they will accomplish his will in their generation. Then it's up to the next generation to pick it up and carry it on to the next after that. So he warns them, he says, go your ways. Each one has their way, the way they're going to go. <clears throat> go your ways, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. He didn't say you're unprotected. A lamb always has a shepherd to protect them. <laughs> but he didn't say that. He, he, wasn't, he didn't say, I'm sending you out to get slaughtered. I'm going to throw you in a, in a wolf's den so you die. Because I want to see if you can handle it. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're not like them. You don't act like them. Why? Because in the previous chapter, they're trying to call down fire from heaven and burn people up. Because they didn't preach and didn't heal like we do. <laughs> no, 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 you don't know the spirit you are. You're sheep. You act like sheep. You follow the shepherd. You listen to his voice and obey his voice. They're going to be out there and they're going to scare you. But they can't touch you because they've got to come through me. The sheep is never abandoned by a shepherd in the Bible. Not by the good shepherd. He's always there. So protection, provision, you don't need an extra pair of shoes. You don't, that's not a great need in missions. And I, I understand in some places missionaries have to send a container of things over there because they're not going to get it there or they're going to spend so much more it's just good money sense to ship it. I'm not preaching against that. I'm not preaching against anything that we find out that we have to use in this modern world. If you just met out somewhere in a forest, no one would come to church. No visitors would. I mean, they met it wherever they could. They met in somebody's backyard. John Mark, his mom, Mary, in Jerusalem, had a house with a wall around it. You know, when Peter got out of prison, he knocked on the door and Rhoda said, It's Peter! And they said, no, 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 it's a spirit. Did you let him in? Oh, no, I was so excited to tell you I left him knocking at the door. I mean, they, they met in somebody's backyard in a walled-in country home type thing in, in this Jerusalem. 
No, the greatest need is laborers. That's amazing. In the, in the passage right here, where Jesus says, He sent out 70 also. At least 140. His disciples are watching Him administrate. At least 140 evangelists. And He says, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. The very first thing about missions is praying for, like He said to, pray for laborers. And not like uh, Moses. Send Aaron. Aaron can do it, I can't. Don't, you, know, you're, you shouldn't even consider whether you can or can't. You should not be consider whether you're, you're qualified or not. Well, I'm not qualified to show me the qualifications of a missionary. Do you, know, do you know what the qualifications of a missionary are? Well, let's see. You have to be an a ex-Christian killing Jew and a bachelor and be sent out of the church in Antioch. That's what Paul was. They sent out a bunch of bachelors. And you know what we do? We take a young man just out of Bible college, just ordained, has no experience in the ministry. They got a baby so they know that it's well behaved. They've raised it well up to six months. And then, okay, send him on. Where's number two? Where's... Where, how come we're not sending them out two and two? Well, it's because we've got so many other distractions. We've got so many other things that are in the way. We've got a closet full of shoes. <laughs> i got more shoes than I could wear. I can only wear one pair at a time. <laughs> and I'm not against that. I mean, if you need shoes, get them. If you need a bike to ride to work or a car to ride to work, get it. If God will let you do that. But it's the right priorities to look at how God looks at, to look at missions, how... Okay, so I'm sending out, right in front of my disciples, 70. They already saw me send out another group of 70, and I gave them a mission to complete. Now, eventually, you guys are going to go out and never come back. Some of you may die. Some of you may give your life over in India, or go over to China, or go over to or whatever, and just stay there, those first 12, 11 But the, the, the greatest need is laborers. Laborers. What's a laborer? Somebody who knows and has been trained to labor. Work. I took over a, a, my first uh, year back in Brazil. Our first year and a half in Brazil, we were on a uh, uh, student visa because I went to language school and we didn't have anybody to invite us down there. So while we were there, a church, a Baptist, independent Baptist church, said, we'll invite you. They offered to. They sought us out and offered to invite us. So they did all the paperwork that we did for Brother Joel and Sister Tina and uh, had the privilege of inviting them uh, to Brazil. But so when we... Uh, uh, came back down, 
I took over a, a work. I assumed a responsibility of work for a guy for a year back in, that was about 97. And back to the message because uh, that illustration just ran away. It had short little legs, but it ran away. 72 and 2. Sent them out 72 and 2. I know what it was. The idea of we send the guy out there and everybody expects that the pastor's wife is the associate pastor. In fact, I've seen at Bible colleges pastors going there to recruit somebody saying what they're, what they're really doing, they're, they're conniving. Do you want an opportunity, son? Oh, you come to my church. Now, what does your wife do? They're trying to get two-for-one deal. They're trying for the Kmart blue light special. Now, if you don't know what a blue light special is, then you know, Kmart's been gone a while. But that's what they're doing. They're trying to get on the cheap get an associate pastor that's not an associate pastor. The, the church in Antioch sent out a group of bachelors. What is, what is the qualification of a missionary? Well, number one, you should be saved. I think that's a good idea. You should know, if you're going to tell somebody how to get to heaven, you ought to know the way. You ought to know the way. And Jesus Christ is the way. Well, you, you ought to have a calling to the ministry. Because there is the ministry. You can have a ministry, but a ministry is doing the ministry. And the ministry is preaching the gospel and making disciples. That's all it is. That's all it is. Well, no, I have this ministry where I do this. I make uh, uh, handcrafted gospel belts. They're probably beautiful. I knew there's a guy in prison, a friend of mine that preached. Uh, Brother uh, Donnelly probably knows this guy. Bobby Sizemore preached in Brazil. I translated for him a lot of times. He went to heaven last year. He had a Bible cover with hands on it and said, Holy Bible, all carved out of leather by a prisoner in the prison, gave it to him as a gift. He used that all the time. That Bible was falling apart, but he just appreciated a gift from a prisoner so much. The laborers are few. Well, you you got to be saved. You've you've got to have a calling to the ministry. But you ought, how are you going to know if you get a calling for the ministry? How would you ever know? Let's see here. Number one, surrender. Romans Romans twelve. I'm going to show you surrender in the Bible. You won't find it in the concordance, but you can find it in the Bible. Romans chapter 12. Romans is that theological book that tells you all about everything you need to know about salvation. Everything you need to know about salvation and the purpose for it. And the purpose for it is in verse 11 or 12, chapter 12. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. See, because serving God is a head, heart, body thing. 
So if you're presenting your body, you already have the information in your head. You've been informed. You've confirmed that in your head. Because God will let you confirm it. That's what he did with Gideon. And really, when Gideon laid the fleece out, it really wasn't for him. He already saw the angel of the Lord go up in flame. He was convinced with that sacrifice. He chose out his army, and he said, he laid the fleece out so those guys would know. They needed to know that he was called to be the general. They didn't need to know that his uh, uh, ministry for God as a judge was to wipe out the, their enemies in a miraculous battle. So I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies, head, heart. You got in your head, you know, you're informed, you understand what it means to serve God. Preaching the gospel and making disciples. That's it. That's all there is to it. And there's so many ways to do that. You know, we invent new ways to do that. You know that every bit of technology that the world has ever had, God allowed man to create it to preach the gospel? Why did God give us airplanes? So the Wright brothers could be famous? No. Because you can ship more stuff cheaper and faster to get people saved. Well, why did God let us invent whatever? Freeze-dried vegetables. I don't know. It has it's something tied in to doing God's work and God's will. So, and it says, to not be conformed to this world, but be a transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the head. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove isn't coming up with proof like a lawyer. You know what prove is? Prove is going to the Baskin and Robbins 31 flavors and getting that little spoon and saying, I'd like to try that one. And they give you that and you put it in your mouth and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, give me a cone of that. You just proved what you wanted. Like it says in the, in the Psalms, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. You try it out and you say, yep, that'll work. You prove the will. It's in action that you know the will of God for your life. And most Christians never reach the um, good and uh, the uh, good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. They live their life in doubt about that. There's no certainty. There's no conviction. It's not in the head. It's not in the heart. Well, how do you how do you get that? You present your body. That's what happened to me ignorantly. I had no idea. I did it out of pure emotion. But thank God it was the right thing. Two to, two to five minutes after I got saved, I went back to the side of my bunk, and I said, God, if you want me to be, to be a, a janitor to the church, I'm willing to do it. I presented my body. I didn't know what that verse said. I had no clue. That was the Spirit of God doing that, making it easy for me, so I wouldn't be able to weasel out of it later. <laughs> the greatest need... His laborers, someone to work. Someone to work. So what are you doing? You, you, why do... I, I can only speak for myself. The reason I go on furlough is to recruit. But I'm not looking for somebody called to Brazil. Because you'll never know if you're called to Brazil. 
I'm looking for somebody who says, here am I, Lord. Do whatever you will with me. Send me or keep me here. Or, But I don't want any distractions. I'm not going to talk to anybody on the way of finding God's will for my life. You have to want the will of God for your life. You have to make an effort. It has to be sacrificial to find the will of God for your life. The will of God for the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is the second coming. It's spoken of over 500 times in the Old Testament. It is the greatest event of all history. And nothing that we do on this earth is going to be greater than that. But praise God, we have a pause right now where we, who are not even God's people, we're Gentiles, we're dogs, we get to do something that lasts forever. Don't delay. Don't go around looking for your extra pair of shoes. <laughs> You'll miss it. Just do what God said. Trust Him. I'm going to put you out there. Well, those wolves are scary. Well, don't look at them. Don't look at them. I remember when my one sister-in-law, Sandy, was going to get married. I told Debbie yesterday this story. And she stayed a couple, just a couple of weeks with uh, Carol Ann and I. And she had, because they were going to get married in California, had to go get a blood test. And she was scared to death of needles. So we got in the car and we're driving on base to go down to the health clinic because Jim was in, at that time in the Air Force. So she had a right to be in there and get a, a blood test there for free and they would have done it for her. And on the way she's saying, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't, I don't know. I, needles, I all faint. I don't know if I can do this. You know, I looked at her and I said, I stopped the car and I looked at her and I said, Sandy, I'll tell Jim that you couldn't do it and he'll understand. Okay, what do I got to do? <laughs> well, Lord, I don't know if I have the character to be a laborer in your harvest. Lord, I don't know if, I, if I'll start for a while and then I'll fail. I don't know. God, God is not. He already told you the future. He said, I'm putting you in a bunch of, in the middle of wolves. Well, are you going to take care of me? Do you trust me? Do I have to give you every little detail and say, yep, I'll do that. Okay, I'll do that. Yep, I'll do that. I'll... You know, it's like a, a, a young man proposes to his future bride. Well, are you going to buy me those black shoes that I like? Yeah. Oh, you gotta... You're never going to get married. You've got too many questions. You've got to know too much stuff. Too much. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things you got to know, but every little detail. Are, are we going to live in a little white house with green shutters on it? Yeah, and I'm going to burn it to the ground if you don't give me any. If you don't say yes right now. <laughs> Jesus told his disciples after they saw him send out seventy, send out another seventy, and was getting ready to send them out. 150 men, over 150 men, going and preaching. That seems like a lot. You got 150 men here? And it's still not enough. Maybe we ought to just stop and think, am I a laborer? Should I pray for laborers or should I 
put myself on the altar and be a laborer. But is that going to require I, I get a visa and travel to a far land? Those 70, they went to their hometown. They went to their neighborhood. They went to their families. I may, I may have gotten saved just so somebody else in my family could have gotten saved. You know, when I first got saved, I thought it was God, God created the whole world just so he could save me. And then, then I learned about the second coming, and no, he did that so Jesus could be glorified. So Jesus could be glorified in everything. So if everything points to the second coming and Jesus Christ being glorified, why not take part of it? Why not be one that says, okay, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to present my body because God's already got my heart. I already know his will in my head. So you've got your head and your heart, and the last thing is be a laborer. Pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. Not the other guy. When you pray for laborers, you come down here and you say, Lord, is it I? <laughs> like the betrayers all asked. Is it I? Lord, is it I? So what we're going to do right now is we're going to stand to our feet, and I'm going to pray, and uh, then I'm going to turn over the invitation to Pastor Dunbar. But if you need to come, if God's spoken into your heart, why don't you go ahead and step out now? Just come. Don't stop anywhere along the way. Don't let somebody's eyes looking at... You know, the last time I was in a church service in Green Bay, I came forward in a church service just to come forward. I didn't care what anybody else thought. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege of serving you, for knowing that we're loved, knowing that you created us and love us and have good things to give us and have an individual interest in our life. Help us, Lord, by thy grace to be empowered that we might complete thy will because we've taken information into our head, we've hidden the word in our heart, and we've presented our body to be a laborer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.